0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church podcast. Our battles aren't won in our own strength, but in God's. Revelation chapters 17 through 18 reveal to us God's divine conquest in the final battle of all time. Enjoy the message. Well, Ben, I'm so happy that you can be with us this morning here at Kenosha City Church. You are a friend. And you know, you scared me though, because when you came in earlier this week, you said, Andy, I need to have a good story. To tell about you and I, and I never heard what story you're going to say. I know that you and Allison were plotting in Char, so I'm a little worried about this. So uh, anyway, we'll, we'll see where it goes here this morning, right? <laughs> All right, let's give it for Ben, everybody. Yeah, well, guys, hey, thank you so much for having me here. Uh, it is a joy and an honor for us. Uh, my family's with me to come out to Kenosha, and you know, coming from Iowa, every time we come out here, we have to go see the lake. And I was asking Andy, I said, hey man, we're going to go, we want to go out to the lake and spend some time out at Lake Michigan. And uh, I asked him, you guys come out here very often? He's like, no, no, not really not at all. How about you guys? I'm just curious, take a poll from the audience. How, do you guys go out to the lake often? <clears throat> Some of you, some of you, it, see it's like that in Indianola, we have our local attractions. Now it's not so, so much of an attraction as a great lake, but then people come and like we have the National Balloon Museum for hot air balloons. I bet you all have never been there for that, right? You never seen that? Can't believe it. But uh, the locals never go. And so um, we've been enjoying Kenosha as we always do. And today what we're going to do is we get into Revelation I was really giving Andy a hard time about this. Because I was like, yeah, man, I'd love to come speak. And I find out it's on Father's Day. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm a dad. Dads are awesome. I'd love to speak on Father's Day. And I'm like, so where are you guys at? What What would you like me to speak on? And he's like, we're in Revelation. I'm like, you're having me as a guest preacher come in and preach Revelation? Can't you give me like a softball, like a psalm or something? And it's like, so we're jumping into Revelation. And we're at the end. If you guys have been kind of tracking along with Uh, Kenosha City Church, you guys are getting right up to the end. Today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 22, but I want to start by just talking about beginnings, beginnings. At the end of this awesome holy book that we call the Bible, God takes it all the way back to the beginning, and we're going to see shadows of the beginning all the way throughout the text that we look at today, but I thought it'd be fun to kind of open up with beginnings, and this is where my story with Andy begins. I'm like, oh, let's just talk about beginnings I remember the very first time I met your pastor, Pastor Andy, uh, it was in the year 2000. I was thinking about it. I think it was April of 2000, and Andy was actually leading a prayer group uh, at a church, the the church that I really wasn't quite much connected with, but um, that had some friends that had invited me in, and God had been doing some huge things in my life, and I could get really derailed telling you about how far I was from Christ and what God did um, to bring me back to himself, into the fold. Uh, and that's another beginning, right? We're talking about beginnings. And uh, so I go to this prayer group that th- these kids have been asking me to go. And I say kids because I was in high school. There's other high schoolers. And they're like, man, you, you ought to come to this prayer group. And uh, all, all we do is we pray for you know, other, uh, other students in our community. We pray for our families. We're praying for people to know Christ. And um, this was 22 years ago now. And I was thinking, this is a beginning, It was the beginning of a friendship that at this point has endured. And and you think about all the different beginnings that you have in your life. And I went out to this uh, prayer group and I met this guy, Andy McGowan, this uh, young man who was zealous for the Lord. And uh, it was funny because here's all these students and we're praying and there was no, I'm going to put it in brackets like adults. There was no adults in the room. It was just us, high schoolers praying. And um, after one of the times that, that we had prayed together, Andy says, Uh, hey, I've been thinking about going to a a Bible college and maybe checking it out. See, he was going to be a meteorologist. You guys know that, right? He talked about that a lot. He was going into meteorology. And so I'm like, sure, man. And I had known Andy just barely because of going to the same high school. But we were in very different uh, social spheres, we'll say. Andy was like the band kid, um, kind of hung out with the band kids. And some of the guys were like, seriously, you're going to label us? Like, what do I do? He was a band kid, and I was kind of like, I hate to say it like this, but in the druggie group, is there like a, a druggie group? I don't know. And I was doing anything you'd put in front of me, and, it, and it, was, it was just a crazy time. And when God had me find a Bible underneath my bed, that was a beginning. It was a beginning that led me to a prayer group where I met a friend. And it was a beginning and it was a beginning that we were talking about going to a Bible college. I'm like, you know what, I don't know much about this awesome book. There's something unique about the Bible, isn't there? You could have a whole shelf of books and there's a Bible there, and there's something, there's something unique about this book. It's because it's holy and it's timeless. And when you open it to the very first pages, you find the beginning. And as you go all the way through it, just as any good story at the end, it readdresses the beginning. Because God has written a perfect book. Beginnings are so important. And I met this guy that I've just had the pleasure of knowing for so many years and all of his quirks about soda. You know, if you go anywhere with Andy, you're going to end up pulling off at the most random gas station that you've ever, you're like, what, what, are we, what are we doing? Well, I was looking at this website, this soda site, and they said that they're going to test market this soda here. And I'm like, it's like, are you serious? Yeah, that's, that's your pastor, Andy. Um, But anyways, when we're looking at beginnings, beginnings are significant. I think about the beginning. My wife is here, and our beginning, April 2001. There's a lot more to this story, but I'm giving you the cliff notes this morning. It was a blind date. First blind date I'd ever been on in my life, never met her before, met, got to, was even made aware of her through a friend of mine, and he was dating her sister, and there's so much to the story, but when we met, I remember sitting in a car, we, we pulled up to the school and she was in a soccer practice and they were all running across, I'd never seen a picture of her, I'd never met her. And so there's a whole team of girls coming across the street and, uh, and, and I'm looking at my brother, now my brother-in-law, um, we ended up getting married to sisters, so my, my brother-in-law says, uh, there she is right there and he's pointing, I'm like, there's like 40 girls there. But it was a beginning, it was a beginning back in 2001. I remember becoming a dad I know we've got some dads in the room right do you remember the first time you were held that baby handed that baby over and you held for me it was October 2010 we've got four kids it's a beginning and not all beginnings are beautiful but I will tell you this God's beginning when he created the heavens and the earth what does he say about it it is good God created everything good and then what you have is you look through this book and you look at the narrative of human history, what you find is things got bad. Genesis chapter 3, you have a fall, and it was a great fall, and we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But then when you get all the way to Revelation, you think, man, all these crazy things, and there's beasts and dragons and angels, and the apostles are being martyred, and they're literally be, people are being cut in half and boiled in oil, and hung on a cross upside down, and you're thinking, this is not good. You get to Revelation chapter 22, and as you guys walk through this, and as we look at this today, and you think about and I want you to, we're going to have to put on some creative imagination, right? When you get into Revelation, you're like, this is stuff that human history has not yet experienced. There's a lot of experiences in this room this morning, but I can tell you this, none of you have experienced this, not in its fullness, And so it takes a lot for us to imagine these beginnings. But let's look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, as we get going here this morning. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5 says this. Then he showed me a river. This is John the Revelator, and there's an angel showing him around, so to speak. He showed me a river of the water of life. Clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. When we jump into this passage here, what we see is this we're going back to the beginning, and there's a river, a tree, and a throne. And this should be familiar to us if we're very familiar with the scripture because in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, there was a river and a tree and a throne. The first point for today is this, back to the water of life. Back to the water of life. Verse 1 says, then he showed me the river of the water of life, crystal clear, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb. When it says the lamb, who's that? Jesus Jesus was there. Jesus is there at the end. Jesus is there at the beginning. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one whom we love, he's there. Down the middle of the city's main street flows this water of life. What is water of life? We see that it's clear, it's pure, it's clean, it's refreshing, it's good. And to us, again, that seems kind of insignificant, but I want to contrast that with dirty what if, what if we're in this new Jerusalem and this new city and here's this water and it's flowing and it's murky and stinky? And not to pick on Lake Michigan, you know, but yesterday, have you all seen, if you go out to Lake Michigan, you're gonna see like thousands of dead fish floating around. I guess there was a hard weather change and it killed a bunch of the little fish. And so a couple days ago, my kids go, they play, they have fun. Yesterday we go out, my, my daughter says, Lauren says, uh, it wasn't so fun like I kept seeing dead fish and I couldn't swim around with all the dead fish. The water of life is not Lake Michigan. You've never seen water like this before. It's pure. It's clean. It flows from the throne of God and from the Lamb, Jesus Christ. You've never seen a river like this. I'm from Iowa. Iowa has a large river on both sides, right? The Mississippi and the Missouri. This, this river that we see here in Revelation chapter 22, it has no tributaries. Nothing feeds it. It's not f- coming down from rain and then you know, accumulating and coming down through the, the, the valleys off the peaks and down, down, down into a river. No, not at all. Its origin is the throne of God. God is its source. We've never seen a river like this. Down the middle of the city street, it was at the city center for all to see. You know when you go to an old town, you usually see all different kinds of things at the city center, right? You might see a courthouse because it represents that the law is what we you know, kind of orientate our whole city around. You might have a school in the in the center of town depending on you know, what school was established there, and it means that the education is important to us, and our kids were important to us, and so we set up a school first, and then from there, everything builds out. You might have a church at the center of town. How many people have been to an old town, and there was a church, right, in the center of town? Yeah, why? Because it was important, and it was significant to those people. In the beginning, they established this thing, and it was in the center, and everything kind of revolved around that, and then later on, you got some convenience stores, gas stations, Other things came into place. But here in God's city, in the New Jerusalem, in the New Heaven, in the New Earth, in the center of all of it is a river. And it's pure. And right in the center of it is God. He is the source. Everything flows down and out from Him. How important is water to us? I like asking rhetorical questions for you guys this morning. How important is water? You know, we don't really think about the significance of water in our lives because we have it very close all the time. All of our houses here have multiple faucets, right? Not just one. And also, all of our houses most likely have running water in them today. Here in this community, to be sure. We need immediate access to water, and yet we forget its importance. You know, you die without water in like three days. I was just shooting from the hip and I'm typing my message. I'm like, I don't know, probably like a week. Three days. All of us will be drinking water today. Why? It's important. It's significant. In the ancient world, water was every bit as important as water is for us today. Cities were built with a water supply and a water source nearby, right? You don't build a city if there's not going to be water around. You have to have a plan for water. In God's city that he established, he put water right in the center of town with an origin that will never run dry. Amen? It's like God says, hey, I'm going to establish a new city. And you've never really seen a city like this before. It's going to be better and more majestic and more amazing. And you won't have to worry because I'm the source of it and I don't run out. When you look through the Bible, you find all these biblical stories that happen around wells. Isaac and Rebekah, they meet, there's a background to the story, but they come from a well, a meeting at a well. Jacob and Rachel, these Old Testament saints, they met at a well. Moses and Zephora, one of his wives, they met at a well. The well was important, it gave life. Everyone in that community needed something from the well. There wasn't one person who didn't partake from something from the well. God says in his city, there will be living water. It's no wonder that God uses the language of living water to describe himself throughout the scriptures because water is significant. Hydration affects every single system in your body, and when you don't have it, you die. And yet God used the prophet Jeremiah to use this imagery of water to rebuke the people. We've got a slide in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 says this. For my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, says the Lord. This is the first evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. He's talked about this before through the scriptures, hasn't he? The Lord has. And the people dug for themselves cisterns. Cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Cisterns were an underground basin in the ancient time, and so they may take water from a well and bring it over and fill a basin. And the imagery that he's using for us here is he says, hey, the people have committed this double evil. They have totally abandoned me, the God Almighty, creator of heavens and the earth. The God of living water, who would sustain them throughout anything, And what they've chosen to do is instead of rely on me, the God of living water, they've chosen for themselves broken cisterns that do not hold water. How about you? Pick on the dads for a minute. I was thinking about Father's Day, and I'm like, man, dads, where do you go for refreshing? Do you get a living water, the Lord God himself? Where do we go for our refreshing? What is it that others that you tell others when you go to fill up, you know what, I just need to get away to this. Uh, I need need some me time. I need some alone time. I need to be recharged. I need some time off. And this is what we will do for our time off. That's where we run for sustenance and filling. And my question is, do you meet God there? (laughs) If not, then we're just like these people in Jeremiah's day. The Lord says, here's a double evil. First you leave me and then you go somewhere else that ain't never gonna fill you up. And then you do it again and again and again. You know a broken cistern, at first you wouldn't notice that it was broken because it's underground. So you'd just be slowly leaking and you'd be thinking the whole time, oh, there's plenty in there for me to drink and eventually what would happen is you'd run out. And if it was water, if we're being literal here, like you would need water no matter what. Or you would die. You would have to find a source. What about us? Ladies in the room this morning, where do you find refreshing? What do you do to be restored? Where do you fill yourself up? All these people today, myself included, hobbies and video games and digital entertainment and garage time and yard time and camping and all these things. Good things. Cisterns of water. They have cracks. They're not alive. They can't nourish us forever. The most famous biblical story of living water is Jesus and the woman at the well. Many of us who are familiar with the Bible are familiar with the the story. It happens in John chapter 4. Jesus is with the disciples and they're traveling through an area and He says, I must go through this area. And if you look at all the historical research, it's like he didn't have to go through that area. And most Jews would go around that area because they weren't all friends. But Jesus says, I must go. And he goes to this well. And the disciples go into town to get something to eat because they want something to eat. And Jesus meets a woman there. I always think about this too, like... I like using my creative imagination when I'm looking at the Bible and just put myself in the place and time and just ask myself questions. How would I respond? And try to be honest. Jesus meets a woman at a well. And if if you were to meet Jesus today, face to face, what do you think he would say to you? Just be creative and just think about it in your head. What would Jesus say to you personally? You. You see him face to face. You're just going on your life, boom, there's Jesus, and he says something to you. You know the first thing that he said to the woman at the well? Give me a drink. I'm like, dude, that is not at all what I would think that he would say. Like, wouldn't you think, oh, he's gonna like condemn me for something? He's gonna point out something. It's gonna be like this weird, you know. He's like, hey, give me a, give me a drink. I'm thirsty. We're at the well. But it's a springboard, right, because it's Jesus, and he is amazing. And he goes into this conversation with her. But in John chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Jesus answers her because she's like, why would you ask me for a drink? And this is weird, and you shouldn't even be talking to me. We're not friends. Our people groups aren't friends. And there's so much to the story. But he says this. Jesus answers her and says, if you knew the gift of God, and who says to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you. Living water. In the very beginning, God had a tree and a stream and a throne. And all throughout the scriptures, water is significant, but God refers to himself as living water. He says, dude, I know that you need this to live. I made you. And Jesus here says, I would give you living water. Of course, the conversation goes on and it's, she's like, what is living water? And. He says in John chapter four, verse 13 through 14, he says, Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but anyone who drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him into eternal life. You can have all these cisterns of things that you think are really cool and really significant in your life and they just end up leaking out and you search for more, search for more. You know what? Jesus Christ says, when you find me, Not only will you be satisfied, you will have in you a well of water springing up into eternal life. It'll never run dry. You will have something for others. The source never runs out. This is, this changes people's lives all the time, amen? Maybe it's changed your life. You're like, yeah, Lord, when I look to other things, it doesn't work out. But even in the hardship of life, when I look to you, you sustain me. You fulfill me. You calm the waters of my soul, Lord. When my friends go through hardship, you give me something for them. All of us have experienced these things. John 7, 37 through 39. There's a, there's a festival going on. It says in verse 37, John 7:37 through 39 won't be on the screen, but you could take a note on this. It says, on the last and most important day of the festival, there's a big festival going on and everybody's partying and hanging out. You know, the Jews loved having parties. You guys have a lot of parties around here too, actually, which I think is awesome. God's people should be happy. We have what we most desperately need. It says, on the last day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of... Living water flow from deep within. It's like, oh man, the party just got weird, you know? Like, who is this guy? What is he claiming? He's unique because you've never met a person like Jesus before. At the end of history, we will see a river of water of life flowing from the throne. And we can know living water today. When Jesus says, "If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink," which means, if you've been searching for other things to fill you up, other things to sustain you, as desperately as water itself, you can come to Jesus Christ, and He will fulfill. You. He will fill you up. Jesus will sustain you through all of life's circumstances, every beginning that you have in your life, every first, first job, first date, right, first day of school. Every first and every end, he's there. Our God is so good. In Revelation 22, verse one, he showed me the river of the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne and of the lamb down the center of the city streets. Nobody in the city can miss this river. You don't have to ask anybody, hey, where's the river of life in the new Jerusalem? The point two today is this, back to the tree of life, we go back to the water, Back to the tree. Verse 2 says, the tree of life was on each side of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. This tree, it's kind of confusing when you read it and I'm not exactly sure what it means to be honest and I've read commentaries and they're not exactly sure either. What does it mean that the tree is on each side of the river? Does this mean that there is multiple trees like a small grove of trees in the rivers flowing out of it or does it mean that there's just one big tree and its roots kind of bridge the river what does it mean well we don't really know but what we do know is that the water and the tree are in the middle together and that 12 fruits come from the tree coming to maturity each month all year long every month there's fruit and what does the fruit do it's it's constant nourishment for the people so you have water and you have food and god is the source and it never runs out and so you never have to be worried. Hey, this is a big city. What, you know, how are we going to eat? How are we going to drink? How are we going to live? God will be the sustainment for us. And it says that it's healing for the nations. <clears throat> the Greek word here is coming from the word that we use, therapeutic. Healing for the nations comes from the tree of life. Here Again, this, we'll not use this not as a rhetorical question. You can answer this one out loud. Do the nations need healing? (laughs) Like, uh, I don't know, let me look on social media for one second. Yep, they need healing. The news testifies to us that people need healing. The nations are broken, they're fractured, there's distress. You know people mourn and they cry and they weep and it's difficult out there. There's strife. We have worries, do we not? The tree of life brings healing to the nations. We go back to the beginning, back to Genesis, where we read about the tree of life for the first time. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. Again, this won't be on the screen for you, but you can take notes as you're going through this and do some study on your own. Initially, when we see the tree of life, we cannot eat from it. It is not for us. Genesis 2, verse 9 says, The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, God is the origin of every kind of tree, including the tree of life, the scripture says, in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Genesis chapter two, verse nine. And then we know that this snake, the serpent, Satan came and he deceived and he tricked and there was sin. And Genesis three twenty-two, it says, the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and eat and live Forever. No eating allowed from the tree of life. Man and woman are kicked out of the garden. This tree is then guarded by an angel with a flaming sword. It's like there is no way you guys get to eat from this tree. Because since you have sinned, if you eat from the tree of life and you live forever in your sin-filled condition and state, you will have evidently no hope. But now in Revelation, when we get to the end of the story, that was the beginning, Revelation Two, you guys looked at earlier in your series, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. For the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. God is an awesome God. He tells such a great story, and as he gets all the way to the end, he goes back to the beginning and says, hey, remember when everything fell apart. Remember when sin happened. I'm gonna make it right. Back to the water, back to the tree, back to the throne. Back to the throne. Verse 3 says, And there will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. In the end, God is in the city, and we worship him. But how can we approach this throne of God? Throughout all of Scripture, men and women cannot just stand before the throne of God, they will die. How do we approach the throne? The text tells us right there in verse 3. No more curse. I want you guys to say that out loud with me because I like a little participation. Say no more curse. Ready? No more curse. Why would I have everyone say that? This is probably the most profound thing in this whole text. This is what makes this text really, really, really hard to preach. I'll be honest with you. It's like, how do we bridge this to life today? It's like, well, no more curse. What did the curse affect? Everything. And, and as, you, as you try to comprehend what the curse has affected, it's, it's affected everything we know, everything we love, every day of our life. We've never had a day without the curse. But there was a time in the beginning where there was no curse. And then we sinned. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The sin, uh, the, the curse, the fall affected three different relationships. It affected a relationship between man and God. It affected our relationship between man and woman. And it affected our relationship between man and the earth. When sin happened, man and God were separated. Remember, God shows up and he's like, hey, where are you at? He's kind of picking on Adam because he knows right where Adam's at. He's like, who told you this? And what have you done? And they're like, we're naked and we're ashamed. And there's all this stuff happens. Why? Because God's law had been broken and the relationship was fractured. And throughout all of the rest of human history, it's never been the same again. And all of us live in this fractured relationship with God where we're constantly wondering, are we okay? And oh man, I did wrong again. And I should repent and I should turn and I should confess. And God, help me. God, I need you because we're in a state of broken, fractured relationship. Man and woman. I won't make anybody answer this, but we all know. Like, you ever had a marriage fight? <laughs> no, not my marriage. Never had a marriage fight. The relationship between man and woman was fractured on that very day. In that very garden. By the very tree. Right by the water. And nothing has been the same Since. And we get to the end of God's book and he takes us back to the beginning and he says, hey, you know what? I know you weren't there, but I'm gonna make it new again. I'm gonna restore that relationship again. And I know that you have fractured relationships with friends, fractured relationships with family, fractured relationships with children, fractured relationships with coworkers. You have broken relationships all the time. All the nations are fractured. And he says, you know what? In the new city, In the new heaven, and the new earth, that'll be done away with. We're going back to the beginning. It'll all be complete. It'll all be made new. No curse. How many people, you love Sunday, but not so fond of Monday, right? Like, oh, man, Monday, I got to go back to work. Some of us have to work on Sunday. Some of us have to work like every day, and it's terrible. Because work is hard. But if you go back to Genesis, you find out that the painful labor is part of the curse. Work isn't. Adam was naming things before the fall ever even happened. Work is not the problem. The hardship of work is the problem. The fact that God says, by the sweat of your brow and painful labor, you will be tormented for all of your days. But when I go back to the beginning, at the very end, when I make all things new, no more pain. It's not going to be hard anymore, folks. No more tired. Last night you went to bed and you were tired. This morning you woke up and guess what? You were were tired, right? No more tired. No more curse. This is good news, friends. This is amazing. In the end, no more tired. That project that you've been waiting to do at home that's sitting and hovering over you and you're thinking, oh man, someday I'll get that done. No more tired, no more difficulty, no more curse. Imagine the relationship with your wife. Perfect. Restored. The relationship with your friends in heaven, restored. It's not just like good, it's perfect. Imagine the relationship with God. What stirs you up? What trips you up? What always causes you to just question your relationship with God? You know, that will be done away. Because the curse is gone. The curse is gone. I've spent quite some time thinking about this. It's like, man, I don't even know how to communicate this, Lord. The curse is gone. Every person you meet, everything that you run into in the new heavens and the new earth, the curse is gone. There's no strife. There's no awkward anxiety. There's no bad day depression. There's no, I can't get out of bed today. There's no, I've had it. I'm done with this. There's none of that. There's none of that. The curse is gone. The things that trip you up in your relationship with God will be gone forever. It's done. I love this thought. This should stir our soul. You know, there are stories in our lives that seem like they have bad story because they have just this bad end and it just ends. You watch a movie or something or something on Netflix and you're like, it ends. My wife is like the queen of this because she hates a bad ending. She's like, oh, they should have like, should have turned that back around. That, oh, I hate that. Now, now it's just done, and you're sitting there on the couch. You're like, I got this bad feeling in my stomach. You know what? God's story of human history doesn't end like that. It ends back at the beginning. Believe me when I say it's all good. It's not trite or cliche. It's a fact. The curse is gone. There will no longer be any curse. Short, simple words huge, huge meaning. We'll zip through some of these last ones as we kind of just go through them somewhat quickly. What else does the text tell us? Verse 4. They will see his face. You'll see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. Exodus 33, 20 through 23 say this, but he added this is God speaking to Moses and God tells Moses you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. Exodus thirty three twenty. 20, if you're looking for that. And later on he says, I will put you in the crevice of the rock. I'll, I'll hide you in this like little place in the rock and I'll cover you with my hand, God says. And when I walk by, I'll remove my hand and you can see me from the back. You can see that much, but you can't see my face because you'll die. It's like, you know, sometimes we treat God like he's an absent dad. It's like he started everything going, and he's got all these kids, and he just kind of got everything going. He was there at the beginning to get it going, and then he just left. It's like, where's his face? You can't see my face. Where's he at? And you know, I need help. This is hard. He leaves the kids to figure it out on their own, like a bad dad Absent dad. Maybe, maybe you seem like a domineering dad, like he just shows up just to tell you what to do. Like, this didn't make it better. You just told me what to do. I don't want to do any of that. Like an abusive dad. You can do something about this and you don't. Friends, God is not an absent dad. Not at all. All throughout the scripture, he says, I will be with you. No, no, no. I will be with you. You won't see my face, but I'm everywhere present. I'm everywhere present. I'm always with you. I never left you alone. You never had a crying night on your bed and your pillow alone. I've never left you alone. He's not an absent dad at all. He is always present. And he loves his kids so much, he's loved them with an everlasting love. And he's given the most enduring gift that any dad could ever give. He shed his blood on a cross for us. He is present. Do we feel his comfort? Yes. When you turn to God in repentance and faith, and you do what Jesus says, come to me, the fountain of living water, you experience his grace and his love and his forgiveness and his mercy and strength for a new day, but do you see his face? No. No, he's holding true to his promise that no one will see my face and live, says the Lord God Almighty. But in the end, friends dude in the end we get to see his face John 1:18 says no one has seen God at any time John says that but in revelation 22 when John's writing John says you'll see his face do you want to see his face Are we people that just kind of play relationship church with God and like, hey, let's just, uh," like, we just want to be moral good people and we'll just help people out? Or do we want to say, there is a God in heaven? He is real. He surrounds us with his love, he fills us with living water. We get to see his face in the end, he makes all things new. He's never left me alone. Dude, we get to see his face. Do you want to see him? There's a trip going to Africa. There's a group of people leaving. And I was hearing about some of the people who are leaving. And their, their significant others, their spouses or their kids are going to miss them while they're gone. And you know what those, those loved ones want when, the other, when their other loved one returns, when they come back from South Africa? Guess what the family wants to do? They want to see their face, right? I just want to see their face. We get to see God's face And this name written on their forehead seems kind of strange maybe to some of us. It just means that they are his. And these are all things that should bring great comfort to us because oftentimes we ask ourselves these questions, don't we? God, am I even yours? God, am I doing this right? And we question the relationship. God says, there will be no more curse. You'll see my face and my name will be on your forehead. In other words, you are mine and that's it. And there's no more discussion about it. It's done. It's done. And it's like that forever. You'll see his face, no more night. This is also kind of a weird one. Verse 5, night will be no more. People will, need, will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light. This seems like a strange addition, but this is the last of what they call the no mores. There's seven no mores in the scripture here. You got no more sea, no more death, no more mourning, no more weeping, no more pain, no more curse. No more night. Again, it's difficult for us to imagine this because we are such in the habit of this pattern. Morning, night, morning, night, right? This is, this is the rhythm that God has set up for us. He says, hey, hey you're going to need on the seventh day, you get a day of rest, right? Because work is hard and, and God knows that because it's part of the curse. And so you get a day off and you should take a day off, by the way. Side note, if you're not taking a day of rest, God says you need it. And this is the rhythm, day and night, day and night. And all of a sudden, in new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth, new scenario, God says, no more night. I don't know about you guys, I like the stars and the heavens and all that. I I think God's going to give us a way to experience all of that, but the rhythm is different. No more night. We go back to the river of life, we go back to the tree of life, back to the throne where you see his face. There's no more curse, there's no more night, and lastly this, they reign together together. Forever and ever. Some of you guys might be like, dude, this is like the sermon that goes on forever and ever and ever. But think about what this means, that we get to reign with God. We don't only get to be there. It's miraculous, unbelievable, unimaginable God's presence and we get to be there and we get to see him and behold him and we get to see these miraculous things that you guys have been studying and you're using your creative imagination and you're going, God, I don't even know what that would be like And, and you get to be there, friends. If you have placed your faith and trust in Christ and you have a relationship with him and you've met him before you meet him, if you know what I mean, on the last day and you see him face to face, you give your life to him here. You not only get to be there, you get to reign with him. At this point, if we've ever felt an aspect of humility or a little bit of I'm not good enough, can you imagine the time when God points down at us and says, come, come up here on the throne, come up here and be here with me. We get to reign with him this sovereign, powerful God who has ruled the world in his hand and he created the heavens and the earth. He he ushers us forward and says, you get to reign with me. You don't just get to be here. Man, I love this. As the worship team kind of makes their way up and we kind of wrap this up, I just want to ask you guys, do you ever feel like you've messed up your Christian life? I mean like mess it up. You're like, hey, I came to church today. That's pretty good. Like, step in the right direction or I'm online and I'm watching and It's a step in the right direction, right? Like, I'm doing a little better than I was. And maybe you feel like you've messed up. Can I tell you straight up, I've messed up. I've messed up a lot. We all have. This God that we've met of living water, he's full of new beginnings. He's not just a story, a God that tells you about the end. And he doesn't just leave you hanging at the end. He gives new beginnings and new beginnings and new beginnings. Good days and bad days, highs and lows. You get to reign with him forever and ever. Because he loves you. The end of the story is Jesus takes us back to the beginning. And Jesus is there the whole entire time. God loved us so much that he gave his very own son, didn't he? The sin that we do over and over and over, God hates it so much. You know, you've been sinned against. Some of you have had some terrible things happen to you in your life. And you're like, I can't believe God would ever let this happen to me. And here's the thing, God knows about it, and he hates it more than you do. God's God's so, you know, how can he just forgive him? How can he just let him off the hook? You know, God hates sin more than you do, and it costs him more than it ever cost you think this happened because of this sin and this stuff and it's like God knows exactly what that's like and he paid for it with his very own blood when Jesus Christ shed his blood on a cross it's God's way of saying hey you know what you didn't do it just right but Jesus did and when you put your faith and trust in Christ and you say God I didn't live this life just right but I know that you did and when I get to heaven and I get to the pearly gates as they say And the old question, you know, if Peter should see you at the pearly gates, why should he let you in? And you say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I did nothing right. If you puff up and say, I went to church quite a bit. I gave some money. I helped somebody out. You know, my grandma went to church and she never missed a Sunday. Always lean on somebody else's faith. You're not going to know him forever in heaven if those are your words and say, dude, depart from me. I never knew you. I didn't know you. But you look at him and you say, Jesus, my Lord and my God, you did it just right. I trust in you and you alone. You're the one that forgave me all those times. You're the one who paid for all of my sin. You're the one who beckoned me back. You're the one who gave me what I needed every day of my life. You were there on those dark nights. You were there on those fresh new beginnings. Lord Jesus, you were there all the time. You get to be with him, friends. You get to see his face. You get to reign with him. This is Revelation twenty-two, verses one through five. I'm going to pray, and if there's anyone who'd like to receive Christ this morning as their Lord and Savior, I'm give you the opportunity to do that. To just pray to Him, and for the rest of us who have, dude, we get to approach the throne right now. Is that cool, dude? That's cool. Let's do it because of what Jesus did. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning. Thank you for Revelation chapter 22, verses one through five. Thank you for the strong words that you've shared with us. Some of them so short. Lord, no more curse. Father, there are people in this congregation today. If there's somebody here this morning, Lord, that doesn't know what it's like to know you because they sit underneath a curse, like it's all hard and where's God? Lord Jesus, I pray that they would turn to you this morning. Let's pray, Jesus Christ, I love you. Thank you for loving me first. I'm a sinner and I've done it wrong. I've lived this life wrong. If There's some dads in the room this morning. We can own that. We've done some things wrong. Jesus Christ, you never did. We turn to you in repentance trust and we give you our very lives today we don't even know exactly what tomorrow holds but you do and so we'll trust it to you Lord we love you and we praise you and we'll follow you for our days in Jesus name and God for the rest of us who love you we thank you for the opportunity we get to worship you right now and if you don't know God you don't get to worship him because you don't know what it's like but when you know him we connect Jesus thank you and we praise you and we give it to you